You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Take your Bible, please, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 8 tonight. Nehemiah, chapter number 8, and... uh, This is not because we were preaching through Nehemiah so much of the spring and summer, and I need closure, though I think it'll help me with that a little bit. But this is what God gave uh, to me to preach tonight, and I pray it'll be a help to us. I appreciate that song. If that song could be true, I mean, if Jesus was what you got wrapped up in, man, it would solve a lot of problems, wouldn't it? I like the statement, I've seen him be faithful enough in the light to trust him in the dark. And no matter where you are in life, thank God he's there. Sunshine or rain, harvest of grain, he's my friend. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God that you're back tonight. And I'm praying God will speak to our hearts. And this will be a little different kind of a message than this morning. And I feel strange because, honestly, the last two weeks I have flipped. I've preached Sunday night messages on Sunday morning. I feel like I preach Sunday morning messages, if that makes sense to you, on Sunday night. But I think it's okay because traditionally we would have all of the people out working on Sunday morning. But right now, because of different circumstances, a lot of those folks are in the service on Sunday morning. So I think it's okay. But tonight, this is a different kind of a message, but I believe it's a needed message. And I pray God will use it in my life and in yours as well. If you'll stand with me, we'll look together at Nehemiah chapter 8. And we'll read verse number 9 down through verse number 10 tonight. The context of the chapter is they're having a church service, you could say. Ezra's taken a Bible, stood upon a pulpit, preached the Word of God, and the people have responded with conviction over what they've heard. In verse number 9 and verse number 10, the Bible says, And Nehemiah, which is the Tershatha, that would be the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites that taught the people, said unto all the people, This day is holy unto the Lord your God. Now, I want you to see the command here, mourn not, nor weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Now, let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer, but just in your mind, is it wrong to respond to the word of God with weeping? Of course not. And is it wrong to respond to the word of God with mourning? No. In fact, I think if we would respond more often that way to what the Bible says, we'd probably be much better off spiritually. I mean, if God would break us over our sin and we have a contrite spirit, I think God is pleased with those things. But what the preacher is trying to tell his people is this. You can't live like that. You can't just live every day sorrowful. You can't just live every day in mourning. You can't just live every day on the downward end of the spectrum. It's all right to get there, but it's never all right to live there. And so he gives them a command. He said, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said unto them, go your way, eat the fat. That's what we're going to do here in just a little bit. We're going to eat the fat. It's like cannibalism for some of you. Say, I'm kidding. That was wrong. I didn't mean it. But you know it's right. Eat the fat and drink the sweet and send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord, neither be ye sorry. Now here's my text. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Sorrow's not your strength. Mourning's not your strength. Depression's not your strength. 
Discouragement's not your strength. Criticism's not your strength. Pessimism's not your strength. Negativity's not your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You're dismissed. For just a few minutes, I'm going to preach what I just preached. It take me 45 minutes to say again what I just said there. But let's pray and let's ask God to speak to us on this thought. The joy of the Lord is your strength. God, I pray for power to preach. I pray that you'd help me to deliver this how you'd have it delivered. Whether that be the way it was delivered this morning or differently, that doesn't matter. We just want you to get your work accomplished in our heart tonight. And I pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If you were to pull back the veil upon each life that's represented in our church tonight, you'd find behind that veil a lengthy list of troubles. You'd find a high pile of burdens, worries, and trials. There are many things tonight that differentiate us, but we all find common ground when we talk about the hardships of life. On the outside, we see smiles. On the outside of the veil, we'd shake hands and we fellowship. On the outside of the veil, there's an occasional amen. On the outside of the veil, there's contentment, there's peace. And it seems like the seas are calm and the days are sunny. But if we could look inside that veil, we'd find that often the waters aren't that calm. I think we'd see that the skies aren't always that sunny. The mountain that we see on the outside often conceals a valley that lies on the inside. Behind your amen, there might be an intense battle raging. On the surface of the water, it's glassy and still, but beneath the surface is a contrary current that's swirling. Never is there a day where I, and I understand probably everybody in the ministry, I know pastor, all of us, there's never a day that goes by where I don't hear about a tragedy. There's never a day that goes by that we don't hear about a mistake that brought sorrow. There's never a day that goes by that we don't hear about somebody who has a heartache or somebody who has a reason to shed tears. In fact, I believe probably tonight in this crowd, there are people here that can list a lot of different reasons why they ought to be weak. A lot of different causes that could weaken them. But I'm encouraged to say this, though they have cause to be weak, somehow these people exude strength. I was looking at our prayer list before I came over here tonight, and if you look on our prayer list, and you get a copy of it, on that prayer list are people that are shut in. They can't get out and come to church. There's people on our prayer list I saw dealing with Parkinson's. There are people right now that are battling, and thank God you're battling, but they're battling cancer. There's a young lady in our Spanish department right now who's still healing and dealing with the trauma of the amputation she had to undergo. Right now, we have a list of people that for various reasons, some small and some great, are hospitalized or they're grieving. We have those that are bereaved. We have those who have lost their job and are hurting financially. We have those that are worried over wayward children. What I'm saying tonight is we have a long list of people. In fact, I think all of us could probably put our name down on the list that could find reasons to look at ourselves and say we ought to be weak. There are folks here tonight, their bodies are weak with disease, yet they exude strength. Their circumstances seem unbearable, yet they exude strength. Their life seems to be turned on its edge, yet somehow they exude strength. They've buried loved ones, yet they're strong. They're financially unstable, yet they're strong. They're tormented by some tragedy, yet they're strong. 
They're haunted by a doctor's report, and yet they're strong. I think of the examples we find in the Bible of these kind of people, these kind of people that were afflicted, yet they were strong. They were tried, and yet they were strong. They were weighted down with care, but somehow they were strong. I think about Job, who lost so much. We preached about him last week. I think about Job, who lost his children, buried 10 babies, 10 children, seven sons, and three daughters. He lost his wealth, and his body was afflicted, yet somehow Job was strong. I think about David, who sinned and messed up, and that sin chased him his entire life. His children, many of them forsook him and broke his heart, yet through it all, David had a song that he sang to the Lord, and David was strong. I think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah, who preached for so long and yet never had a convert, yet somehow Jeremiah had that fire burning down in his soul, and Jeremiah stayed strong. I think of Hannah. Hannah, who begged God for a baby, and yet God seemed to delay the delivery of that prayer, and her adversary afflicted her, yet somehow through it all, Hannah stayed strong. I think about Paul, who was forsaken, and Paul, who was cast down, and Paul, who was put in prison, yet over and over again, Paul was rejoicing in the Lord, and somehow Paul stayed strong. If you could look behind the veil of those people in their existence, you would find things, sorrows and problems that lurked and hardships enough to break the spirit of any individual and bring them to their knees. Yet somehow those people exemplified strength when it looked like they had every reason to be weak. I think of Fanny Crosby. I think of a woman who at a young age, a man, an incompetent man imposing himself to be a doctor came and he had her mother put hot mustard poultices on her eyes and it ruined her eyesight and Fanny Crosby was made blind. But I'm glad Fanny Crosby somehow in that weakness yet exuded strength and she gave us so many of the hymns that we sing in our services. I think of Horatio Spafford who wrote it as well. Yet Horatio Spafford had three baby girls die in a boating accident, drowned in the ocean. And yet he was able to say, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, he wanted to say, it is well with my soul. That man should have been broken. That man should have been weak. Yet somehow he exuded strength. I think of Charles Spurgeon who suffered from such great depression that sometimes they'd carry him into his pulpit. He'd lay in the bed for weeks on end, couldn't get out of bed, battling that depression. Yet Charles Spurgeon would preach with much power. Somehow that man who was physically and emotionally so weak exuded strength. I think of, uh, of Harold Seitler. Harold Seitler's wife was driving down the road near his church in, Tavern, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, and his daughter, 11-year-old daughter Carolyn was in the car. A drunk driver came flying down the road and rear-ended the car of Mrs. Seitler and their little girl was thrown from the vehicle and died instantly. Yet preacher upon preacher in the South would tell you that whenever Harold Seitler would come, he'd encourage them to stay through their trouble and stay through their trial. And Brother Bobby used to tell the story how he went to him with a church split, having a heart attack. And he said, I don't think go on. And somehow Harold Seitler said, God's grace is sufficient. That man should have been weak, yet somehow he exuded strength. There's something about the Christian that can't be comprehended or copied by the world. There's something about the child of God that the lost world can't make sense of. I remember visiting my grandpa just a couple of days before he died. He was in an extended care facility. Papa had always been a preacher until he got dementia and then he had to quit preaching. But 
the dementia can never steal the preacher out of my grandpa's heart and mind. We went to his room and, and I remember going in there and my uncle was there and he had a guitar and I was there and, and I had a banjo and by the way, we'll, we'll teach you what that is one of these days. I know, I know you don't know, but one day we'll do that here. And we were sitting there in that room and we were singing and said, Papa, what do you want to sing? And he said, why don't you let me sing one? And Papa couldn't remember anything, but he could remember things about the Bible. And I remember him saying, I'm in the way, the bright and shining way. I'm in the glory land way. He said, heaven is near and the way groweth clear. I'm in the glory land way. And then he went into, I woke up this morning feeling fine. I woke up with heaven on my mind. And can I say that man was dying with dementia, yet somehow he exuded strength. Let me ask you, how can the Christian be a conqueror when it looks like life is conquering him? How can the Christian be an overcomer when life is overwhelming him? How can a Christian show strength when every sign points to the fact that he is weak? How can a Christian praise through pain? How can a Christian hope through sorrow? How can a Christian rejoice through the tragedy? How can a Christian hold it together when life is falling apart? I think the key is deeper than the outer veil and it's deeper than the second veil. But I think if we could go in to the heart of a Christian and lift that innermost veil, we'd find behind that veil there's a secret to the strength of the Christian. Ezra gave it to us some thousands of years ago when he said the joy of the Lord is your strength. Cancer might touch your body, but it cannot touch the joy of the Lord. Dementia might touch your mind, but it cannot touch the joy of the Lord. Depression might crush your spirit, but it will not crush the joy of the Lord. Circumstances might turn life upside down, but it never confuses the joy of the Lord. How can the Christian show strength in weakness? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Christian, you've not been furnished for sorrow. You've been made for joy. You read the book of Psalms. It's not a pouting book. It's a praising book. Christians aren't made for long faces and stooped shoulders and pooched out lips and pessimistic murmuring. Christians, I'm afraid, sometimes think the sorrow of the Lord is their strength. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible said the joy of the Lord is your strength. I don't understand it. Too many of us are living like we have terminal life instead of eternal life. What God gave me, I'm not going to die with. I'm going to live forever with. I don't want to be one of these Christians that walks around with the proverbial black cloud ever hovering above my head and the lightning bolts flashing from it, walking around talking about it's bad and gonna get worse. I don't wanna look at the negative. I wanna live with that giant positive, which is God upon his throne. My Bible says I've got a well that never runs dry and I can draw joy out of that. And when I get that joy in my life, it'll strengthen me for every step that I take. How the world lives is from emotion to emotion. That's why they're going all over the place from different job to different job, from different spouse to different spouse. They live from emotion to emotion, but we don't live by some exciting outward emotion. We live by deeply anchored, sincere, still, settled, satisfying confidence in our, in our God. And we can say, you know what? Whatever comes, whatever happens, I have something on the inside that the devil can't touch. I've got something on the inside that the world can't get to. I've got something on the inside that time won't take care of. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We can live on higher ground even in the valley. The child of God doesn't have to sink when the world sinks. We don't have to despair when the world despairs. We can have victory in Jesus every single day because the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
the lost man's always weak. He's always in a hurry. He's always frantic. He's not anchored. He's not stable. You and I aren't supposed to live that way. We have something that ought to stabilize us, that ought to anchor us, that ought to calm us and keep us settled. I think about the song, My Anchor Holds. Though the ship is battered, the anchor holds or the sails are worn. And then it said the anchor holds in spite of the storm. And that's what the joy of the Lord does. The joy of the Lord keeps the child of God firm and steadfast in shifting ground. His ship isn't carried away with every wind that blows. He doesn't bow down to the breeze of the day. He knows what he knows and he holds to the doctrine he believes in. And his anchor remains unmoved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Strength doesn't lie in political might. Strength isn't found in military power. Strength isn't found in physical ability. Our strength for navigating life is the joy of the Lord. And when we talk about the joy of the Lord, we're not talking about something shallow. We're not talking about you got a good sale at the store or caught a big fish or got a good meal the other day at the steakhouse. We're not talking about something that changes with your feelings. We're talking about something that lasts. When we talk about the joy of the Lord, we're talking about something that's consistent it's not conditional, it is constant. It is not hollow, it is substantial. I think we'd agree tonight that we are too weak and we must have strength. I think if you would think about life and the things that we're facing now in this generation, that we're gonna need some strength from somewhere. And I'll tell you this, you're not gonna pull strength from Fox News. You're not gonna pull strength from there. In fact, I'll say this, you're probably kind of a poor Christian if you spend more time watching that than you do reading your Bible because you're gonna be negative. Say amen right there. They're not trying to help you. I don't wanna bust your bubble. They're trying to keep you crazy because they don't make a living if you don't stay stirred up and tuned in. Shame on you. It's getting quiet in here. You don't mean to preach against the movies because you don't go, but preach against Fox News and you get so tight. You spend all all day on there. No wonder you're discouraging everybody else. Amen. Doesn't say Tucker Carlson's my strength. Shame on these preacher boys called to preach and want to be political activists. Why don't you get a pulpit and preach the Bible? You don't impress me running around the college campuses passing out vote for whoever. That doesn't impress me. Pass out a gospel track. Well, that's not part of the message, but I liked it. That, that felt real good. I enjoyed that. Thank you. First Peter 1, 6, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations. That's just part of life, manifold temptations. All of us wade through deep water from time to time. All of us walk through the valley from time to time. There's sorrow. That's just part of life. But the Bible promise is there is strength to make it through, and it's found in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is made for the juniper tree. The joy of the Lord is made for the den of lions. The joy of the Lord is made for the Mamertine prison. The joy of the Lord is made for the sackcloth and ashes. The joy of the Lord is made for Bethany's graveyard. It's made for those moments of betrayal. That's how you shout in sorrow. That's how you praise in pain. That's how you trust in uncertainty. You anchor yourself to the joy of the Lord. It's bigger than us and more than we can do on ourselves. And God supplies us with that joy for strength. I want us to look at it tonight, what it means. In Nehemiah chapter number eight, you find an example of a biblical worship service. It's amazing how these compromising places want to be so biblical except when it comes to being biblical. Let's figure out how we're supposed to do church. All right, let's figure it out then. Let's go to Nehemiah chapter number eight. 
If you want an outline for what church is, you can get a good, and I understand the church is a New Testament thing, but you can see right here an order of service. If you study out this chapter, here's what you find. First and foremost, there's an elevated pulpit. There's an elevated pulpit. Secondly, you'll see that on that pulpit stands a man of God. Next, you'll see behind that elevated pulpit, there's a man of God and he has the word of God. You'll also notice as you look that there is not a worship leader. There is a man of God that leads the worship. Oh, my. You say, who's the worship leader at North Valley Baptist Church? Jack Trebers. Amen right there. You say, where'd he learn how to do that? Hopefully the Holy Spirit. The people, watch the response next. The people pray and they praise the Lord by saying, amen. Oh, careful. You're being biblical now. You know, saying amen in church isn't cultural. It's not Baptist. It's just not what we do. It's in the Bible. All right. Next you find you got a pulpit, a man of God, a Bible. You got amens. You got prayer. Then you find preaching. Here's how he preaches. He reads the text. He expounds its contents. He gives the meaning and then he makes an application. He doesn't just exegete, but then he takes the truth and says, now here's how you use it in your life. That's Bible preaching. You don't just give information. You give a charge. You give a challenge. You draw the net. And then I like what happens. All the people get under conviction and seek to get right with God. You know what they just did. They just had church. That's what church is all about. In fact, if you don't open your Bible, you can't really even have church. Amen. Church isn't a praise band, a big screen, or a bouncing ball. It's an open Bible preached by a man of God. You can have church without a lot of singing. You can even have church without an offering plate, but you can have church without Bible preaching. If you want to know if a church is compromising, look what they cut out and look what they add in. All right. The Word of God has cut to the heart of the remnant. They've heard the preaching, and it's, it's, it's troubled them. The Bible tells us that they're mourning, that they're weeping, and that they're sad. In verse number 9, we see that. The people wept when they heard the word of God. But in verse number 10, we find the command of the preacher to his people. He said unto them, go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet. Church fellowships are biblical too. Let's just throw it in there. And send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto the Lord, neither be ye sorry. And watch what he says, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. He's saying this, I know you've been made upset. I understand that you're mourning over your sin and you're wanting to get right and you're in the process of getting right. That's great. He said, but you can't live every day like that. You can't live a perpetual victim with this mentality that everything's bad, everything's falling apart, everything's negative. It'll never be like it used to be. He said, you've got to understand something. The joy of the Lord is not there to make you mope. The joy of the Lord is not there to make you miserable through life. The joy of the Lord is not there to give you that critical down spirit. The joy of the Lord is there to be your strength. He's saying, you don't have to live that way. You don't have to live with a frown. You don't have to live with a pooched out lip. You have the joy of the Lord that can give you strength. You can't live on a negativity. That is more potent than poison. You can't live on that way. The joy of the Lord is your strength. He said, you can feel sorrow and have joy at the same time. You can weep and have joy at the same time. You can be troubled and have joy at the same time. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I believe today, if ever, people of God, we need the joy of the Lord. And by the way, the joy of the Lord is not happiness. 
We preach that all the time. Happiness is based on what happens. It's circumstantial. I've preached it maybe here before. You young, you get a good grade. I got an A in school. Woo! And then the next day you get a B and you're like, I got to drop out. That's not joy. That's happiness and it changes. Right? You go out to eat and get a big hamburger. Uh, I don't know what they're called at that place, uh, In-N-Out. I've never eaten there. Can you believe that? Is that un-Californian of me? I was going to go eat there, and I took my dad through the drive-thru and got one whiff out of that place. And I thought, no, I'm not going to eat there. It's okay. If you want to eat there, that's fine. We have hot dogs after the service. <laughs> but you go there and you eat. Woo, that was good! And then you wake up with food poisoning. And all of a sudden you say, well, I think I just curse God and die. That's happiness. You girls find a nice dress. Woo, got a good dress! And then the next, next week, like, this dress got tight. It shrunk. It just, it just shrunk. <laughs> Jeremiah, you'll never experience this, but most men get a wife. I'm kidding. Jeremiah, you might. <laughs> I had a young man, he'll watch this service. I had a young man text me late on Saturday night. He's preaching this month for his dad, filling in the pulpit. And I thought, he's going to ask me for preaching help or prayer. He said, Brother Cooper, do you got any good-looking, not-crazy girls out there that would marry me? He said, I'm old. i got to get married. I'm like, he's like 22. I said, the only problem, bro, is they're probably asking the same thing out of a guy. I said, so I can't help you at all. But you, you marry a wife. Whoa, got a wife! And then you find out she comes with the mother-in-law. <clears throat> so you base your life off of that. And this is what the world does, and this is what many Christians are doing, and this is not what God wants us to do. We base our existence on what happens. We're so outside-focused. And that's why one week you come in here shouting it out, and the next week you come in here like you want to, you know, you know, just blow somebody's, uh, uh, just tell them, tell them what you think of them. You're not consistent emotionally. Why? Because you're anchoring your existence in happiness when the Bible said it's not happiness that strengthens you. It's the joy of the Lord that gives you strength. That's your feast in famine. That's your water in drought. The joy of the Lord. What is the joy of the Lord? Number one, let me give you four statements. Here's what the joy of the Lord is. The joy of the Lord is joy over who He is. The joy of the Lord is joy over who He is. The Bible uh, tells us in Habakkuk 3.18, Yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll joy in the God of my salvation. The joy of the Lord springs from simply being joyous over who your God is. Now, I can understand a depressed Muslim. And I can get, uh, you know, a depressed Hindu. I don't understand a Christian who's all depressed and pessimistic about everything. When you stop and consider who your God is. He's a pretty good God. I read the illustration. A man went up to a young girl and said, Why do you like Bill? Why do you love Bill? And she said, I I love Bill because he's athletic. He said, well, Johnny's athletic. He said, well, I guess that's true. He said, well, then so why do you love Bill and not Johnny? Well, I just love Bill. Well, why do you love Bill? Well, Bill's smart. Well, he said, well, Johnny's valedictorian of the class. Well, I guess that's right. Well, then why don't you like Johnny? Why do you love Bill? I just love Bill. Why do you love Bill? And, and she said, well, I, I, I love Bill because he got a lot of money. And that's usually the reason. He goes, what, 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 he, John, Johnny makes more money than Bill does. And she said, he said, well, why do you love Bill? She goes, I guess I just love Bill because he's Bill. Now, can I say that's all you need to rejoice in God just because of who he is. You can rejoice in God just because he's God. Tonight, the joy of the Lord is anchored in the fact our God's eternal, our God is faithful, our God is holy, our God is immutable, our God is incorruptible, our God is eternal, our God is just, our God is real, our God is righteous, our God is sovereign, our God is sufficient, our God is truth, our God is transcendent, our God is wise, our God is wonderful, our God is Lord, our God is 
is lovely. Our God knows us. Our God is near to us. Our God searches our heart, saves our soul. He cannot lie. He cannot fail. He cannot change. He does not lose. He doesn't slumber or sleep. He's patient. He's pure. He's powerful. And he's perfect. He sees all. He knows all. He feels all in all. He's the source of life and the well of grace and the spring of mercy. He's first, last. He's the end. He's the beginning. He's the alpha and the omega. And you step back and you say, I need some strength. Well, think about who God is. The joy of the Lord is just joy over who he is. Number two, the joy of the Lord is joy in what makes God joyful. You kind of see the phrase said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You want to pull strength from that joy, then you have to make God's joy your joy. I tell you how to live a miserable life is to not make your wants compatible to what God desires for your life. Whenever you grow in grace to the fact where you're able to sacrifice, crucify your desires to pick up his, you can enjoy the Christian life. He said, I don't feel like I'm drawing any strength. I don't have any joy. Then you're probably too wrapped up in self and not wrapped up enough in Jesus. Because you make his joy your joy. You get happy over what he's happy about. Where do you find the joy of the Lord? Well, I tell you what makes him happy. Soul winning makes him happy. I got quiet. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seeds, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. What makes him happy? Prayer makes him happy. What makes him happy? Bible reading makes him happy. What makes him happy? Holiness makes him happy. What makes him happy? Church attendance makes him happy. He said, I just don't have any joy. You've got to make what God, God gets happy over what makes you happy. All right, number three, the joy of the Lord is joy over what the Lord's doing in your life. This is difficult. Psalm 139 verse 2 says, Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Psalm 103, verse 14, for he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. I think about what Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. I think about a little Shunammite woman who had prayed for a son, got a son, and then that son died. And yet, you know what her response was to her situation in life? It is well. You want to have the joy of the Lord be your strength? then you've got to be able to take joy in whatever it is God's doing in your life. It's a good day when you and I realize that God might know better than we do for our lives. My Father's way may twist and turn, my heart may throb and ache, but in my soul, I'm glad I know He maketh no mistake. Rejoice in the Lord, He makes no mistake. We sing the song all of the time. You might be here tonight and you say, that's easy for you to preach. You don't know where I'm at, and that's exactly right. But I do know what the Bible says here. You're going to have to rejoice in what the Lord's doing in your life. You have to understand that he has a purpose, he has a plan, and he has a goal, he has an objective to make you more like Jesus Christ. And God knows what I need to make me more like Jesus, and God knows what you need to make you more like Jesus. And it might, and I hope it doesn't, it might take cancer, it might take, it might, it might take a divorce, I don't know, it might take a tragedy, I hope it doesn't, and I don't want that for anybody's life. But if it does, I tell you, get to where Job was, where he could just sit down in the ashes and worship God anyhow, say, you know what, God gave it all to me, God took it all away, and see what God did, God blessed him in a bigger way later on in his life. You say, I need some joy. I need some strength. Then you've got to get to the point where whatever God's doing, whether you're on the mountain, the valley, sunshine or rain, you see the Lord is good and I'll just trust God. He's directing my steps. I know he's in control. I was in my office before uh, earlier this afternoon and I turned around to the desk in the back side of my office and just watched these little birds hopping in the bushes. And there are two black squirrels running up and down the telephone pole. And I just watched them. You know what they care about? Nothing. 
Not a thing. They didn't even know I was watching them. I thought, man, if this was back home. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> my wife get a new scarf. Say amen right there. But I watched them just hop from branch to branch, branch to branch. Those squirrels running up and down the, the pole. I always wonder, why don't they get electrocuted on that thing? But then they're running up and down the pole. Maybe that's why they're black. They have been shocked before. I don't know, but they're running up and down the pole across the wires. Man, they don't care about anything. They're just having a time, enjoying the day. You know why? Because they understand where their food comes from. Man, they know God, God never has failed them. God ain't never let them down. Those birds always find a worm or a seed. Those squirrels always find uh, something to eat. You know, they're, they're taken care of. And then here's the actual children of God running around pulling our hair out, birthing ulcers in our belly. I don't know about this time. Has God ever failed you before? Hadn't he always been faithful? Hadn't he always come through? It might not have worked out the way you wanted it to, but it worked out well. Amen. It worked out the way God intended it to. And God gave grace and God was there every step of the journey. You say, I want some joy. You need more than just joy. You need the joy of the Lord. And here's what it is. The joy of the Lord is joy over who he is. It's joy over what makes him joyful. It's joy over what he's doing. And then when you get those three things nailed down, that's when the joy of the Lord can become the joy of the Christian. And when the joy of the Lord becomes the joy of the Christian, that's when it gives you strength. It's not just saying, man, I got joy, and that gives you, no, it's this real joy of the Lord. Ephesians 3, 16 talks about it, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by a spirit in the inner man. Colossians 1, 11, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. That's how that man, Horatio Spafford, could write, it is well. That's how Fanny Crosby could write blessed assurance. That's how Harold Seitler could say, God's grace is sufficient. That's how Paul could rejoice in the Mamertine prison. That's how Daniel could pray in the den of lions. That's how Job could worship. When everything fell apart, they went ahead and took their faith and deposited in God that God knows, that God understands, that God is God. And when they understood that it was God at the helm and God behind the steering wheel and God directing their life, they thought, you know what? I can have joy in whatever comes my way. I know God's in control. He was in control before. He's in control now. Now he'll be in control after and somehow, some way that gave them strength to get through life. Now here you are tonight. I tell you what you need, strength. But more than just physical might or mental might, we need the joy of the Lord to be our strength. But you're going to have to get to the point where you'll say, you know what? Who he is, that's enough. What he's doing in my life, I don't understand it, but I can say he doeth all things well. I'll just trust him. What makes him happy? I think I'll just let that make me happy too. And then when you can get there, that strength that comes from that joy strengthens you to go forward. Jesus' joy can be the Christian's joy if you'll just submit to him in those ways. I don't want to be part of this crowd today. I don't, I don't return phone calls very much and I don't return text messages very good from people I don't know. Because it's about nine out of ten chance that they're going to discourage me and not encourage me. Not always, and there's some good people that do call and they encourage. But I refuse to be part of that crowd. Because if I'm discouraged and you're discouraged and we're all discouraged together, we're going to have to have a lot more hot dog fellowships. <laughs> or life is just not going to be worth living, you know. Somebody's got to stay in the presence of the Lord and, and choose joy over depression. Amen.
and choose joy over sorrow and joy over defeat. Let the talking heads be negative. Why don't we just brag on how good God is anyhow? Maybe you're here tonight and you say, there's things in our life that everything points to weakness. We need strength. You'll find it in the Lord. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.